Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Brewing with BIM. I'm Joe Whitney, and as usual, I've got Dave Campbell with me. What's going on, Dave? Hey, not much, Joe. Another beautiful world, or beautiful day in the in the world of BIM. Hey man, it sounds like you've been drinking already. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, uh, we've got a good episode today. We've got uh, Jared and Kurt with us. Uh, Jared and Kurt with Existing Conditions. Uh, going to talk about some scanning and some uh, some cool workflows, um, some amazing projects that they've done. Uh, you guys are, you know, in my mind, the projects that you guys done put you uh, first in class. Those are some uh, really, really reputable projects. Uh, that said, guys, uh, we'll just jump in here. And uh, before before we really get going, I got to ask everybody, what are you drinking? So I'll start off here. This is Kurt. Uh, I am drinking a lager from Shoveltown Brewery, which is very close to where I live. Um, it's in a town called Easton, Massachusetts, locally made, and uh, you buy it by the growler. That's cool. That's my, that's my kind of beer. Buy it by the growler. Heck yeah. <laughs> how, how far are you, um, mind me asking, how far are you from Framingham? Um. I would. I live in Foxborough, so I would say probably a forty-minute drive or something like that. Oh man, this is a conversation for another time. But David and I are going to be there next week doing some uh, scan to bin presentations and all that fun stuff uh, at oh. a brewery, no less. Man, we'll have to get a beer together. Okay, let me know. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah. Well, <clears throat> Joe, I'm. Uh, I got an interesting. Got an interesting beer today, man. I. I did a little research while I was at the liquor store, kind of looking around, and found this uh, Chateau Jihau by Dogfish Head. And it's interesting. I, I did a little research on it, right, trying to figure out kind of what it was. And this thing has a backstory, like a really, really cool backstory. So apparently, um, these guys, like, found this... Well, essentially, there was an archaeological dig in China in uh, essentially it was like during Neolithic times. And when they they did this dig, they found pottery full of a liquid and it turned out to be a beer. And it was like (laughs) fermented honey, rice, um, hawthorn fruit and grape juice. And essentially a um, Gosh, it was there was a scientist here in North America that actually called Dogfish Head Brewing and asked them to recreate it. So they recreated it and they call it the the Chateau Chateau Jihau. Oh man, I'm I'm mispronouncing that so bad. <laughs> <clears throat> That's okay. It'll sound better after a couple of drinks. Right. <laughs> Start making up your own names, man. Uh, Jared, what about you? Are you drinking anything? I've got a classic on my end, uh, Lagunitas IPA. Nice. My old favorite. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can't go wrong. Lagunitas and IPAs, man. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a big fan of IPAs. 
I haven't really gotten on to the New England hazy IPA kick just yet. They're good. They're just, you know, I always reach for the the West Coast with like three times as much I, uh, hops in it at the moment. But uh, I'm coming around. I'm getting there. I don't know, dude. That that New Belgium, they have a uh, oh New Belgium. Oh, isn't that isn't that East Coast? Or is no, that that's Belgium? Colorado. That's Colorado. That's Colorado. Man. Oh, dang. Come what on. about the Voodoo Ranger? What about you know, that? I did what read somewhere about? one time when, uh, you know, generally speaking, when when people stopped being having a nomadic existence and they were actually setting up communities, the first thing that they would do is to build some kind of shelter. And the second thing would be they'd start brewing something. Ah, <laughs> that's awesome. There, have, have you seen the history of beer? Um, no. I don't think so. No. I think but it's I'm on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> I'm familiar <laughs> uh, just just through taste alone. I'm very familiar. But uh, there's this documentary. It's on. I think it's on Netflix still. It's called The History of Beer, and it just talks about like how civil civilization essentially came about and and uh, progressed as a result of beer. Beer is amazing. And that said, guys, I'm not drinking a beer, so I feel pretty weak right now. Uh, I'm drinking a, a hopped whiskey instead. Uh, it's That's not okay. Well, yeah, I feel like the the uh, <clears throat> the outcast here. Nothing <laughs> wrong with the whiskey. I mean, my wife no. is from Scotland, and typically we go there a couple times a year, so we're always visiting one of the distilleries over there. So, nothing wrong with that. Man, I hated That's Scotch awesome. until I went to Scotland. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a different different place. I love it. Well, hey, guys, um, now that we got the uh, the to do's out of the way here, I want to jump in and chat with you guys. So, uh, you know, for for our BWB fans out there, um, you know, there's a little backstory here. Uh, we've got this website and we get all these uh, form submissions. And usually some are interesting, some are not. Uh, you guys have reached out and we've started having conversations about scanning and things near and dear to our heart. And we started, you know, talking with you guys more and the projects you guys worked on, the scale and, and the the uh, conversation and the backstory of how you guys came into to existence and uh, really developing out of that need um, really piqued our interest because this is something that Dave and I preach about day in and day out. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Kurt, man, you're you're the you're the guru here. You're kind of the OG and started this that company. And I just want to hear from you, uh, the OG, yes, sir. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we've been doing this now, you know, 24 years. And it really was born out of, you know, working for an architect and realizing that when it came time to, you know, measuring buildings, you know, nobody really wanted to do it. And what they would often do and still do is send the interns out there with the enthusiasm, but not the experience. And we all know what happens then. You go through all the way through the process into construction and the drawings are wrong. So I thought it'd be a good idea to start a company that just provides this one service only. And, you know, like I said, 24 years ago, scanning was kind of around, but not really. And it's it's sort of we've kind of we, we've matured along uh, with scanning. So, you know, now we're measuring 60 to 70 million square feet per year um, all over the country, as far away as uh, embassy complexes in Monrovia, Liberia, uh, buildings in Budapest, um, you know, just really proud of the of the portfolio that we have that that you know is second to none in the industry um very very proud of that 
And, you know, the most important thing I'm proud of is, is my team. You know, having Jared as my partner and um, the team that we put together. Uh, there are some people who've been working here for 23 and a half out of those 24 years, 20 years, 15 years. And that's, you know, that's, that's unheard of these days. And it's, it's not by accident because not only are we working on really great projects, but we've created a really good culture to work in. And that's really important because otherwise, you know, people are pretty transient these days and they wouldn't really stay around the company that long. So it's a good place to work. And we're working on some really cool projects. I mean, just a, a few that we're doing now is the, the trading floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Um, you know, we've worked at places like, you know, Carnegie Hall, um, uh, the Pentagon, the U.S. Capitol building, uh, I guess embassy complexes in different places. Um, so many high profile projects where, you know, the best architects and the best real estate developers in the country are relying and trusting our data that we that we provide to them. And any you know, famous uh, musicians? Uh, we've had um, musicians. We've done some work at uh, properties that have been owned by Madonna, but I'm not supposed to say that because I signed a five-inch thick NDA. But anyway. oh man, all right, we'll, um, we'll we'll edit it. Yeah, and we, we've good. done an apartment for uh, Ed Sheeran in New York. Uh, when I say an apartment, I mean like a 15,000 square foot freestanding brownstone. You know, so seven houses. <laughs> you know, we've done some work uh, there. We've uh, I mean, there, there have been uh, homes that we were told were owned by celebrities. It was just not really clear who it was. We've also done an apartment for Chris Rock in New York. So, you know, a few celebrities here and there. That always makes things interesting. That's I think it definitely cool. adds something cool. to it. Yeah. I, and you were yeah. talking about how amazing, you know, it is to, to have people on board for 23 and a half years. I was just counting my... Uh, my, you know, how long I've been with my company now, eight years. And I feel like that's a crazy amount of time. 23 and a half years is nuts. Um, that's an insane amount of time. And, and uh, an to another thing, um, you mentioned Jared. Mm -hmm. I, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about Jared. Jared, introduce yourself and uh, how you got involved with the company, because I think this is a very interesting story. Like, Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. I won't say your thunder. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So I went to architecture school and after graduating, I worked with a team out of MIT. We were uh, investing in prefabrication technologies. So figuring out how to build an apartment building like Ikea builds furniture and ended up spinning off that venture into something through MIT, more of a research lab at the, at the time. Uh, but kept up an appetite for so-called prop tech, real estate tech investment opportunities while I was working in more conventional multifamily development, specifically adaptive reuse of historic buildings, as well as improvement of occupied apartment buildings. And in both of those use cases, which was a, a large majority of my time, both big old historic buildings and big not so old apartment buildings with people living in them. If you're gonna form a cogent investment thesis about how you're going to make that deal happen, having accurate drawings of the building is a must. You can't, you can't be basing these huge assumptions off of 
the old floor plan, the old floor plans that someone found in a boiler room somewhere, right? Because um, buildings change over time. There are additions, there are renovations. Um, and some of these buildings, you know, 150 year old mill buildings in New England, uh, birthplace of the Industrial Revolution. And so anyway, I, I worked really closely with Kurt on a lot of those projects and existing conditions uh, was and is a, a great partnership and investment opportunity. So joined as a partner in March of 2020 after consulting with Kurt for almost two years and joined full time to help grow what it yeah, a company with an amazing foundation, as Kurt was outlining earlier. And you know, Jared's being a little modest here. I'm gonna I'm gonna give him some props here. You know, he, he Jared's a graduate of you know Cornell University, top shelf architecture school, and um, you know has a background with his family business that is extremely successful. And I'm really proud of the fact that my partner used to be my client. And, you know, there aren't many people who can really say that and pull it off successfully. So I think it's just been a great, it's been a great synergy. Uh, Jared and I have unique skill sets. And I think the combination of our skill sets really complement each other. And as evidence of that, we've seen a huge increase in our revenue and our, uh, you know, our business in the last year and a half in the midst of a pandemic. So it's a it's a really great story. Yeah, that's what I was uh, hoping hoping Jared to get to there, but uh, you you uh, you got to it. Um, when whenever your client becomes one of your employees, that just oh, shows. Jared, yeah, Jared's not an employee. We're partners. Yeah. Partner, sorry. When your when your client becomes your partner, that just shows real belief in the work that you do. Um, it's tremendous. I think it spills speaks volumes to. Uh, not only the skill set that you guys have put forth, but actually the the company culture as a whole, like that your client would want to partner with you and, and you know, get further uh, uh, ingrained. That's amazing. You know, yeah. like I always say, no one has ever said to us, you know, hey, Kurt, what you're doing, this is a terrible idea. I never want to have accurate drawings of my building. So a horrible idea. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So <laughs> we've always kind of had that. You can't assail the product. Right. You know, you can't assail that. So. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a, as you know, it's a, it's a, it's not an easy business. It's, it's very difficult. It's enjoyable. I, I thoroughly enjoy every day getting up and doing what I do even 24 years later. I can't wait to get to my desk at 530 in the morning. You know, I, I, I love it. And I think in order to be successful, you really have to love what you do. And I love what I do. I know Jared does. And I know the people that work here do as well. So that's what makes us a really great team really great, dynamic, innovative, nimble team. And, you know, anyone can go buy the scanners. And we're, we're basically a Leica shop, but we do have some Faro equipment as well. But, you know, anyone can just go buy the scanner. And, you know, the analogy I've always used is I can walk down to Home Depot and buy the most expensive hammer that they sell. Doing so doesn't make me a master carpenter, right? It, you know, it's the experience it's the team that you put together that's really critical to the success of the company. We've got a top shelf team. Yeah, and in the past decade, laser scanning has reduced the time required to serve a building, survey a building by over a factor of 10. But 
new technology, whether it's better forms of LIDAR, drones, you name it. Sure, those offer new levels of speed and accuracy, but more to firms like ours, because we've noticed, you know, from an economic perspective, most can't afford to buy an expensive tool if it's used only occasionally. And so there's what we call a skills gap where there's this big market opportunity, but uh, there just isn't the consumer appeal uh, for economic reasons, mostly. Yeah. And I know a bunch of firms will shell out the, you know, 40, 50, 60, even 80 grand on a, on a scanner, depending on the project type. Um, and they'll dedicate a person to do it. The issue is, you know, three projects later, that scanner is still That's sitting right. on the shelf, you know, where it was essentially after they bought it and we're all hyped up about it. And it's really either you got to get uh, in bed with a company like yours that, you know, invests in, in its employees and the, does this day in and day out, that sort of thing. Uh, or they've got to actually, you know, do enough scanning where they're building it out themselves. Uh, it, it, it is, yeah. it is, a, it is a process. There's a, there's a it, big, there's a lot of investment it. that goes to it. That is, that is so accurate because I always tell my clients who are architects, for example, for the reasons you just stated, if you go out and purchase a scanner, then we're both losing money because, you know, I'm not getting the work and you're getting an expensive tool that's sitting there that you have to pay insurance on and upgrade every year and pay someone to operate and all the things that go along with it. Again, it's not just a matter of buying the tool. You have to be good at what you do. And that comes yeah. with experience. And when we're measuring 70 yeah. million square feet per year, I'll tell you what, we got the experience and uh, that's way more important than buying the tool. I can go pick up the phone and buy the tool any, any day of the week. You know, I, can't I have a quick people. I have a quick anecdotal story. And I see Dave is trying to chime in um, real quick. So I laid floor in my house, right? Tile, all that sort of stuff. I've laid tile before, but very infrequently. Uh, I bought a bunch of tools, you know, uh, spend uh, a fortune, you know, reinvesting in the tools to do it. I did it. And this year, it's been a year since I've installed it. We are ripping up all that tile and paying somebody <laughs> to put in new flooring. And that, that's the difference. It's just something I haven't done every day. It's not something, yeah, you know, I have a, you know, a skill set. Flooring is not one of it. Um, <laughs> that said, you know, I'll, I'm happy to pay the professional to come out and, and redo my work. It makes uh, sense. That's, yeah, it does. David, sorry, man. I was talking over you. I, I knew you were trying to chime in there. No, you're muted, Dave. Oh, yep. Sorry, guys. Yeah. I thought he left. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Man, that mute could kill you. Um, but I tell you what, I, I, one thing I wanted to say is it's really important here, too, is, you know, as you were talking about experience, I kind of wanted to to talk about that a little bit just because you know essentially when you're when you're new to scanning you buy a new scanner you're just designated and you're trying to learn there are a lot of lessons that you learn like if you're trying to do it yourself and as you guys say like you have that experience you've learned those lessons now i, I you know you guys are talking about this vast um you know profile that you guys have of experience of going through these old buildings i, I wanted to ask you guys what are the some of the lessons that you've learned over time or kind of, I don't know, how, how have you guys gotten to where you are? Well, you know, you know what the key is? It, it's, it's real simple. And this is gonna, you know, this, this is not a, this is not a cliche at all. 
I'll give you a little background. So before I went to architecture school, I spent 13 years in the military as an engineer. And one thing I learned is that to be successful, you got to be adaptable and resilient, okay? Because the battle plan goes out the window the minute the first shot is fired. And you have to be able to be nimble and react to these things. You have to know that going to an old abandoned mill building like Jared just described, there's, you know, safety hazards in there. There are there are certain ways of scanning a building that um, are that lend to more efficiencies. It lends to tighter scan data. There are you know field work tips that we impart to our people to make them to give them the knowledge that we've learned over the decades and millions of square feet that we've measured um, that you just can't get. You can't learn that in a classroom. You can't read it in a book. You just got to get in the saddle and do it. And we're really good at that. And we're really good at being adaptable and nimble and uh, resilient. And that's been, uh, you know, a cornerstone of our success. That's a good, good, uh, um, I guess, kind of mindset to have. It doesn't matter how many books you read. You can learn a bunch of stuff that way, but you you just got to do it. You got to get yeah. in there, start start scanning, you know, learn those uh, lessons. There was, uh, I don't remember the quote that always goes around LinkedIn. Somebody shares some graphic to be cliche and cool or whatever. But anyways, it essentially says something like, um, you know, old man uh, asks why, or somebody asks this old man why he's charging so much. Uh, anyways, the, the whole uh, synopsis is this old man, you know. Yeah, it's not about you're paying him for the time. You're paying him. Exactly. Yeah, you know exactly yeah, what yeah. I was trying to. Yeah, yeah. You're paying yeah. him for the experience. Yeah, not the time. Something that took him five minutes to do but it costs thousands of dollars is because it took 30 years to learn how to do that. That way you're paying him for his experience, you know, not that, for his time. That, that makes a lot of sense because I, I always look at like what we do in the service industry here. Like, you know, people, people come to us, an architect gets a project. They have to get it measured. People come to us because they have a problem and they want to know, they want to have confidence that when they get done talking to us, I mean, we know what we're talking about and we can, we've done this a thousand times. And we know how to get this done. And we give them that confidence and that trust. It's kind of like going to a lawyer or an accountant. Why are you going to a lawyer, right? Because you get a problem and you want him to solve it for you. And you're not looking for necessarily like the cheapest lawyer in town. You want to make sure you hire a lawyer that has the skills, the expertise, the experience, and the track record of properly executing these projects. And we have all that. And, you, you, know, you know, you can't take that away once you have it. You always have that. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. And it's very it's very important when you're in this industry, because, I mean, this is where I want to get into broadening it a little bit. Scanning can be used for so much. You know, I I mean, sometimes we tend to think of as built existing conditions. You know, I Joey and I talk about this during our tap tour. Eighty <clears> percent <throat> of the buildings in the United States are more than 20 years old which most of them don't even have a CAD file. As you know, you guys were talking about, you find a paper set in a boiler room somewhere, it's half tattered, eaten by mice, and you're like, yeah, sure. Or you're going out there with a little laser and you're shooting to get the measurement from wall to wall. And then you're trying to lift up ceiling tiles and you know, hold up a flashlight ah. and guess what's there. It's, mm. it's, it's, you know, there's, there's I know a lot Fortune, that goes into it. I know Fortune 500 companies with space planning departments and I'm not putting anybody on blast, so I won't say anything. But I know these Fortune 500 companies and space planning departments that um, have buildings less than 20 years old that don't have up-to-date drawings. So, sure. uh, oh yeah, it's, it's yep. crazy, man. 
Yeah. We see it every day. You know, and, and, you know the, the joke around here is like, if you're a real estate developer and you're buying a building like a multi-million or tens of millions or hundreds of millions, I mean, you know, you, you wouldn't go buy a used car unless you had the proper documentation. Why would you go buy a used building unless you knew how many square feet you were buying and what's going on with the place? It doesn't make any sense. The old way of doing things is over. And the expectation now is that we have the technology to deploy and you should be deploying it. And that's where we come in. We can help these real estate developers not do things the old fashioned way where they're just taking on a lot of risk. We can mitigate that risk for them. And that's extremely valuable. It is, it, it, it really is. You know, I, I, and I wanted to say also like scanning can be used for so much more than even just, I mean, as built existing conditions is very important. Obviously everyone needs to be able to visualize that space. But you also get in the term of, you know, problems. I mean, everyday construction, you think about projects that are going on right now. There are so many different ways to use scanning is what I'm trying to say, essentially. Like, it's not just getting the existing conditions. It's tracking the construction process or, hey, the subcontractor was supposed to design it to this. This is what they installed. We have a problem. We need to, we need to document the existing conditions or what as, as like what is here, right? Not, not our design, but actually what was put in and be able to actually verify that information. And I mean, I think that's another portion of where, you know, what you guys do, what you can do is, I mean, with scanning in general, with the knowledge and experience on knowing at what angles to take it or, you know, what have you. But sure. it, it, Oh, go ahead. Dave, you and I chat about verification workflows so much from a construction standpoint but we never talk about it from a, a legal standpoint or a development standpoint like uh, Kurt has been talking about. It's just an interesting perspective, something that we haven't, you know, per se, like thought about. Like it's not something. Yeah, that it's we not just, something we dive into. It's, really. it's, yeah. it's not like we think about terms of constructability. We don't think about it in terms of litigation or or verifying for accountability or, or risk. I mean, we think about risk in a different light. We think about risk as in is this, you know, been installed the way it you know, needs to be? Has this been. Uh, is this actually, you know, the conditions, you know, did the architect model these columns in the right place? That sort of stuff. Um, not necessarily like, hey, are you getting what you paid for? Like, you know, that 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 to me is uh, that's real money being left on the table. Like if you're a developer and you're not using a, a scanning solution like this. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, you know, we're approached by developers all the time and they say, you know, Kurt, we've got, you know, uh, we're, we're thinking about buying this building. We think it's 200,000 square feet, or at least that's what the seller is telling us, right? Which is always fluffed up. Everyone knows that, you know, so they say we have a 30 day due diligence window. What can you do? I said, well, that's maybe not enough time to go out and do a full scan and full model. And that's, that could be a lot of money, but I'll tell you what, we can go out there and scan the perimeter, the common areas and all that stuff. And we can actually tell you how many square feet you're buying. And we've had cases where, you know, the building was advertised at 200,000. It's really 185. And that's real money. That's real money when that's when it's that off. And prior to the advent of laser scanning, it would have been very, very difficult to really, you know, decipher what you're actually buying. You know, you've got to, you know, the expression we use around here is, you know, um, know what you own and own what you know. It, it makes a lot of sense to do it that way. I Man, have, 200. Sorry, go ahead, Jared. Oh, I have a, a really good relevant anecdote uh, 
about in 2007 when Blackstone acquired uh, equity office properties. But it, you know, the issue of scale is so important, right? The and I'm com I'm usually coming at things from the financial or the economic perspective, but real estate and the building industry are the largest asset class in the country by far. And there are a lot of really major players in that in that real estate ecosystem. So the reason I mentioned this one deal, which was just gigantic, you're talking about a $39 billion pool of real estate, 500 buildings, 100 million square feet across tons of different US markets, uh, a basket of trophy office buildings effectively. And so after a bidding war, they were able to basically leverage a buyout with $32 billion of debt from a bunch of different banks. And the reason this is relevant to our conversation is a big part of Blackstone being able to turn a $10 billion profit in 10 years was a rapid and aggressive sell-off of a lot of these trophy properties that they had purchased in the from the equity office portfolio. So Blackstone was basically able to pay off its debt very quickly, decrease their risk before the market downturn, obviously following 2007, the global financial crisis. And, and a huge part of being able to sell those properties was realizing, hey, this is a trophy office building, but it was built in the 80s. I don't think the people we're buying it from really knew what they had. Let's measure it, let's model it, let's present it in the most favorable and comprehensive light possible. And as a result, they, they did, you know, by far the biggest deal in that time. So the stuff really has major implications at, at the national scale, if you think about them in that way. Yeah, that, I mean, to think about a company of that size, um, I mean, how, I mean, Blackstone's in everything. They're in like, uh, they, they own Autodesk, they, you know, portions of Autodesk, they own portions of Hilton and all kinds of stuff. That's, uh, that would be, I don't know. I can't even think about the the square footage that people could be off in, in that scope. Um, getting back to what Kurt was saying earlier, though, like uh, I'm, we're looking at a building right now. You know, it says uh, there's a sign outside that says uh, I think it says like 6,400 square foot, but it's advertised at 6,900 square foot. Now, thinking about something in terms of millions of square feet um, being off by that percentage, it just that's an insane amount of money that you're overpaying for. Yeah, and the that equivalent, you know, eight percent delta or whatever, for a hundred million square feet. If each one of those trophy office buildings, call it the nicest million square foot office building in whatever downtown you live near, that's like getting an extra eight buildings for free, or paying for eight buildings that you're not getting effectively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's, and, uh, and that that gets back to what we said earlier, where you know, uh, you know, Jared's background in, 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 in real estate and finance is that, you know, a developer might say to him, well, you know, why would, why would I scan a building when I, when I buy it? You know, I, I'll just do what I've done for the last 30 years. And I, you know, find the rent rolls and I find the old drawings and I just kind of go with it. And the reason is very simple because things are different now, because now we have the ability with laser scanning to decipher these buildings, right? We have the ability 
to go in quickly and efficiently and accurately and measure these buildings and provide them with real data, not just what the seller is telling them or some rent roll to, you know, from who knows where, you know, the old way of doing things is over. And the new way of doing things is the way that we are doing it with our, with our clients. And that's just catching on more and more because we, you know, we couldn't do it 20 years ago. We didn't have the tools. We didn't have scanners. We couldn't do it then, but now we can do it. So the expectation is that you will provide this level of accuracy because you can. And that's catching on more and more. Yeah, I run it. I run into laser scanning quite a bit more now um, than say 10 years ago. I came from a survey uh, construction layout kind of background and scanning, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever, was very, very dark minimal. ages, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> you were, you're too bleeding edge. Um, it's crazy. Uh, and then companies like Pharaoh came out and they made a, a pretty cost effective solution and it started to pick up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's a lot of other brands out there and, uh, I can't say too much. Dave and I work for a, a company that manufactures. So, but that said, um, you know, now today I have scanning conversations pretty regularly as a, somebody who's just a jack of all trades in BIM, um, having these conversations, I can tell you that there are a lot more knowledgeable people out there and there's a lot more interest in it. And, and, and it's not so taboo, um, as far as like talking to architects about, about BIM, David. So we were talking about this uh, before we uh, really got going with the podcast. Um, Dave and I are doing these presentations around the country, and what what they're really about is we're just renting out breweries and talking about uh, uh, scanning and BIM and all that sort of stuff and automation and just crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, there's so much interest in it now. It's uh, it's actually awesome to see how far we've progressed. That people are at least willing to entertain conversations about scanning and want to know more about it. Um, maybe not, you know, jumping and doing himself, but at least, you know, know enough to ask questions about how this is beneficial to me and, and how I'd be able to use this on a project. Is it for verification as a GC to know where things are installed, or is it more about the preliminary and getting a good baseline of what's already there? You know, the more ubiquitous it becomes in the industry, the more it becomes accepted and the more it becomes, you know, just a a standard way of doing things. And And that's happening more and more and more. More people in the construction and architecture world are becoming familiar with it. And they're, you know, they're demanding from their architects that we want this building scanned. Don't just send the interns out there with tape measures. I mean, we're paying you to get this done properly. So bring in the proper expertise. And, you know, on that note, I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you another anecdote. We, um, we worked at the uh, State House in Massachusetts a while ago for a, uh, one of the largest uh, architecture firms, you know, uh, north of New York, based here in Boston. And, uh, you know, it's a, as you can imagine, that's a really high profile project. We're doing the House of Representatives chamber, the Senate chamber, the dome, really cool stuff. And I said to the uh, one of the principals of the firm, I said, you know, do you want to hand my guys some blank cards with your company on there? So in case somebody asks us who we work for. And he said, oh, no, no, Kurt, on the contrary, I want my client to know that I think enough about this project, that it's important enough to me that I'm bringing in the proper expertise and the proper equipment. I'm not just sending the interns out there with tape measures and finding some old paper drawings and winging it. You know, this is an important project and it deserves attention that we're giving it. And and that was really like a a watershed moment for me. I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. 
we're providing an extremely valuable service to these architects and developers and institutions. And, uh, you know, it, it, it makes you feel really proud when you pull off a job like that, you know, and you, uh, you really help people. And that's a, that's a great thing that I deal with every day, that we're giving people data that they would have no means of getting before. They would, they would never know this stuff. And, you know, beyond all that, every time I've been in the field and somebody sees me with a laser scanner, they just think it's really cool. And they come up and talk to me and, and have a conversation. What is that? What are you doing? Oh, yeah, we could use it. We could have used this on the last project that we just had some big unpleasant change order at the end because the drawings were wrong. You know, it never it never ceases to spark that conversation. So it's a great icebreaker. 15 years ago, I was having these conversations with total stations. Um, it's great to see them actually come, you know, full circle at the next iteration talking about scanners and people having interest. There's nothing like somebody stopping and just like, what is that? What are you doing? Yeah. It's like, I'm actually measuring things. And, you know, people you know see in this in, case, a in million points per second. media now too, right? I mean, people see like these PBS channels when they scan, you know, the, you know, pyramids in Mexico. And it's like, yeah, they're using a Leica P series out there. Or they're, I mean, I, I, I said, oh, that's the same stuff we have, you know, and people will say to me, I saw this thing on PBS about how they scan these Mayan pyramids. I'm like, yeah, same technology I'm deploying on your project. And they're like, wow, that's amazing. It is amazing. They just did this huge scanning project on, uh, gosh, what is that church? Is it Notre Dame? No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They do, and I mean, when you're documenting something that old and that beautiful, and you really want to be able to know every detail inside of that building, mm -hmm. I mean, you got to think. I mean, I, I actually watched the documentary on that and saw that it was done. I mean, it, it was an mm -hmm. awesome project. It really was. But that's, you think about it, how better to document and and you know really know oh. what's there than to scan it. Oh yeah, man, a hundred percent. Do you know the um, like so? Scanning is an everyday people's everyday life, whether they know it or not, and they're just not really thinking about it in terms of scanning. A drone essentially is a scanner. Sure. Um, a you know a we got uh, territorial scanners, terrestrial scanners rather. Um, you know fixed scanners. We got these geo slam algorithms where you can move around. Uh, that little Google car that that goes around. Um, that was, uh, I think our brand scanner originally, and then Google came out with their own, but essentially they're mapping the streets. They're going down the streets with a mobile mapper essentially, sure. and, and taking, taking all that information and, and you're, you get on Google maps and you're, uh, looking in live view. These are technically scans. That's exactly what they are. I mean, yes, yeah. it's a 3d image, but, um, you know, it's a measurement. You can, um, you can capture a whole bunch of data and share it pretty quickly. It's, it's amazing to see how mainstream it's actually becoming. I mean, I've been doing this long enough where, you know, I'm dating myself here, but the first project we worked on with, with scanning was a project in, uh, in Albany, New York. And it was um, a, a company that Leica purchased called Cyrax, if you remember. That was the, uh, you know, Ben Kasira came out with the first laser scanners. Um, and that scanner had a 45 degree cone. So you had to actually pick up the scanner, it didn't even rotate. And like physically turn it on the tripod to get the next 45 degree cone and try to overlap that data and register it together. And it was an extremely archaic process. It just comes so far so fast. Yeah. Well, well it's I that old. Think... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's just that old uh, 
technology adage. What is it? The the it gets faster by X amount and you know cheaper by X amount every eighteen months. Yeah, sure. uh, well, and I, I think know. another reason behind it would be Moore's people law. see the value. You know what I mean? If you see the value in something, if people really see the value, they develop it. They try to push it further. That's why we're seeing a lot of communication between you know manufacturers of hardware and software and their clients. I mean. Things are constantly changing and updating nowadays. I mean, you see the technology that we have. It's it's kind of nuts to think about it from even 10 years ago. You know what I mean? It, it, it just it, it's kind of mind blowing to see how everything has changed. But again, there has to be that value of it. And I do believe that scanning has shown its value more and more, which is why we're seeing. I mean, geez, even cell phones these days have LIDAR data. I could make yeah, I think Jared has with, that cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I tried. I, I started taking one of my Mustang. I got a 69 Mustang in the back. And I'm like, oh, man, this would be so cool. Yeah, it actually turned out really cool. But, mm. you know, it, it's it's kind of neat how it, it's in everybody's hands these days. Well, that's the way that's the way to drive real adoption in my mind is actually to get it in consumers hands that one brings down the cost of the technology in general i mean scanners aren't cheap by any stretch of the imagination they've they've come a long way but they're they're still not cheap um you know that said uh you get a consumer grade application it it gets people interested they start playing with the consumer level and then the next step is that professional series that does cost quite a bit more but at the same time um, there's a base level knowledge set, expectation, um, like there's people trying to find use cases about it. I remember when, uh, what was it, the the mesh algorithms came out. Um, I think they released them in recap probably, I don't know, like six, seven years ago or something like that. Um, and I remember taking the uh, bunch of scans, kind of like what you were doing with your phone, Dave, where you actually create a, a, a mesh out of the object. Um, out of, I think we were using like a, a stupid little troll doll or something like that, like a statue and just trying to create an object out of it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's come a long way just since then. It's six years ago. And now it's it seems to be mainstream technology, at least that part of it where you're capturing objects. Now, the next step is, you know, scanning large projects and, and how you make that more cost effective and, and efficient and and uh, accurate. Accuracy is the big one. People create new technology especially in the scan industry, which I'm sure you guys can attest to, especially you, Kurt, um, where these new technologies come out, but they're less accurate. The data that gets shot is is not as dense. The patterns that it uses um, doesn't actually produce the best data for us to model from or, or verify from. Um, I mean, things are coming along. It's just you got to pick it, it's part of the process, the, the experience, right, is knowing which tool to use for which job. Well, you make a good point, you know, because, you know, we, we have a, you know, full arsenal of scanners here, everything from, you know, construction grade scanners that have a range of, you know, allegedly a kilometer, um, all the way down to handheld uh, slam technology scanners to uh, aerial drones. And you're right, it's not a one size fits all solution. We deploy the proper tool for the proper project. And, you know, our clients appreciate that because we know that they don't know what scanner to use, you know, so they rely on our expertise for these things. 100%. Yeah, that's, that's really important. I mean, honestly, knowing what type of data you're going to get from that tool, you know, that's where a lot of people also fall off with a scanner. 
because they might make a purchase of, of a certain scanner and then the results that they're getting, they're, they, it's not what they expected, right? And I think also like essentially nowadays we can set those expectations with previous projects, like well, previous things it that takes, you've done. It takes a knowledgeable person um, not that Dave and I have as much knowledge or anywhere near the, the wealth of knowledge that, uh, Kurt, you have over these last 24 years. Uh, but it takes talking to somebody that's at least invested in scanning to a degree um, at the bare minimum, like Dave and myself, you know, but preferably someone like yourself who knows which tools to use when. Because when I chat with architects and they're like, yeah, I want to create as built from it, and I'm like, well, and you think that this scanner that you bought is going to do it and you're going to be able to <laughs> get this data? I don't think you're – that's not the way this works. Your you know, $4,000 scanner is is a garbage, out-of-date scanner that is not going to give you data you're going to be happy with. One, you're not even going to use the data. So it, it's an education process as much as it is a, a conversation uh, about, you know, the – it's educating while um, – kind of telling them where they should go. I get, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's all education. But at the end of the day, uh, people don't know what they don't know. And it's up to people that have been in the industry to kind of steer them where they need to go. And I guess that's where, Kurt, you and uh, Jared come in hand. Yeah, I mean, we, we really view our working with clients as a collaboration, right? I mean, we're, we're there with them at the beginning. We're the tip of the spear. You know, we're the first ones in. You know, first ones on the beach. And we're, we're, we're with them the entire time throughout that project and our clients appreciate that because they know that they have backup and they can call us and we are there you know um you know we we can act as their like you know internal scanning group and it's been very successful and the collaborations that we have done that with are are, are many with again some of the best firms you know in the country and, and also i don't think it's um uh, it, it's it's um you know it, it's an important point to say that we like to say that, you know, we stick to knitting. And what I mean by that is that we're not like a scanning outfit. We're a scanning outfit specific to the building industry. Okay. So I'm not a land surveyor. My background, Jared's and generally the people that work for us have a background in the building industry. So we know the language of buildings. We know what somebody on the other side of the table is expecting from us in a BIM model because we've all been on the other side of the table. And when someone tells me I need a reflected ceiling plan and a, a, you know, a longitudinal section, we know what that means. And, you know, again, not, not that, uh, you know, land surveyors or any other trade is, is uh, you know, the, the, we're, we're better than them. We just speak the language. This is our this is our lane that we stay in. And we don't try to do anything outside. We don't try to scan an intersection or a car or a boat. I mean, we are in the building industry. We want to be the best and we are the best at doing this in the building industry. And that's where we want to be. Yeah. And I think another side of this, like I, I think to a degree, scanning is that initial kind of step into it to getting that data. But the next is transitioning it. Right. And I think this is also something that you guys do. But it, it's such an important part of, of course, knowing the tool, knowing the type of data you're going to get from it, but also being able to transition that into some type of model, right? In terms of, we hear all the time nowadays, digital twin. And initially, a lot of people thought that a scan is a digital twin. Well, it is, but it isn't. 
because as that building changes, as it grows, you need to take new scans. Scans are essentially mm -hmm. a picture, right? It's, it's, it's part of the data that you can get. But the other part of that is really going to be transferring it into the BIM system or getting some type of model data from that. Really, that's where I think a lot of owners can also benefit from this in terms of if you're going to buy, let's say, a factory and it was an old paper making factory, what kind of machinery, what kind of tubing, what kind of pumps, what valves, what do you have installed there? What's been what uh, has the equipment been properly maintained? When was the last time it was worked on? What was changed with it? I mean, asset tracking, all of that stuff. A lot of that can be and should be, as we're seeing, it's, it's vastly beneficial on a lot of different projects. But I mean, in so many degrees, even just starting out with an initial, you know, model itself without that, without that huge level of degree is going to be beneficial for knowing what you have and being able to plan the space. But then as you get into the other systems and everything it's really capable of, we can push this technology to really benefit owners, not even just when they're making the purchases, but essentially as they're going to upgrade or as they're going to change that building to further fit how they grow over time. I mean, it's not something that, you know, you think about you do once and you're done. Scanning can be used at so many different times, I guess, during that building's life cycle, even to demolition. Joey and I had this conversation, I, I, which probably quite a few episodes, but scanning for demolition, right? Knowing how you're going to go in and plan what you're going to take out, how you're going to, if you're, you know, placing charges and stuff, like where, what, what's your structure look like? How are we going to place these charges? Or what are we going to do so the owner knows? Well, what, what materials have, recyclable? Yeah. What materials yep. valuable? What materials recyclable? I mean, there's so much that goes into it. There is, dude. And I mean, there, there's so many ways that this tool can be used, right? And and it's all about the level of information that that person can carry out, and at that point make decisions to either grow or tear it down. You know what I mean? And it, it's it's vastly important in this industry, and it's really huge that you know, you guys have that experience over time to learn these different processes and know, you know, what scans to take, how to scan it, what, you know, what angle and things like that, that's going to benefit the BIM team moving forward. Yeah, you said it. I think the secret of success for companies like ours is because of the experience, we can almost start at the end and work our way backwards. And what I mean by that is, David, you, you listed some of the common use cases and, and benefits of having a great BIM file. And so our work's always driven by the client scope. From the first call with them, we're talking about what they're trying to achieve with the data, not the specifics of what level of detail is this BIM model, what's the density of the point cloud. That, you know, to some degree, the method of getting to the end result the client doesn't really care what type of drill we use as long as the hole at the end of the day uh, it serves their needs, right? So we'll go to a client and they'll be talking about one specific use case for, versus another. They can leave it to us to figure out, okay, how exactly are we going to get them these types of drawings in the most cost-effective way? Who should be scanning this building and when using what tool or combination of tools? And so the, the process, it's not necessarily turnkey, but uh, it's customized in that way, which is great to see. Yes, sir. I, I agree. That's definitely important because if they don't care about, you know, certain things in there, it essentially saves them money. 
And with that knowledge that you can go in, scan everything they need and get that level of detail that is needed. I mean, it is very beneficial. You know what I mean? I'm coming from an architectural background myself. And some of these drawings you get, some of these files we would get, even with scans, it, 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 it wasn't beneficial, essentially. You'd figure that out because some people just don't know what they're doing. And you'd get this data that isn't really what you need or you paid so much for it and turns out you really didn't need that information. So, I mean, it's really, it is really key, but I mean, another point to that is the data itself. That's, that's really the biggest thing. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's, it's what type of data, the flows, the pumps, or if not even getting into that far of it, just knowing again, as Joey was saying, the type of materials that you have in your building, what doors do you currently have? What condition are they in? Can they be reused and moved around? How can we save money with this project? I mean, it, it's well, really beneficial to any owner out there. Well, I think the next iteration, so like uh, Kurt mentioned earlier, how scanning's come a long way. I mentioned the conical scanner where you're, you're moving it very manually. And then today we've, we've got all these, you know, algorithms, GeoSlam algorithms, whatnot, um, different you know, methods of scanning being uh, employed. But what we really don't have is a system for, say, owners to be able to uh, visualize the data or um, utilize that point cloud data in a meaningful way. I mean, obviously, this is where uh, firms like Kurt actually lend their expertise very well. But um, giving mm. the owners something usable beyond that immediate use case, so think about as built or something like that, just, you know, I think that's only going to make it further adopt. And then also the consumer grade technology. Well, you, you make yep. a good point because one of the, some of the greatest successes that we've had is when, like Jared said, many times, especially in the past, you know, the client doesn't really care how we get them the accurate drawings, right? I mean, they're not interested. They just want accurate drawings. But we make a point of, you know, delivering uh, our drawings on most projects, especially high profile ones delivering the drawings with the scan data and showing them what they have at their disposal. And it gets them excited about it. It gets them thinking about all the other uses for it. And once they start working with the scan data and they're not afraid of it and they're not daunted by it, then they come to us more because now they can say, you know what, this technology can be deployed on all my jobs. And we've taught them how to work with it rather than just giving them some drawings and moving on we've embraced them as a client and really expanded their knowledge base and they appreciate that. And they, and they come to us more as a trusted consultant as a result. 100%. Um, I, I think that's the, you know, that's the way to get the repeat business, I guess, is edu the, like I was saying earlier, the education um, and building what you were saying earlier, the confidence in it, like people know that you have confidence in what you're doing. Uh, they see the passion. They see that you're trying to give them the best product. Uh, they're going to keep coming back to you. They know what questions you're going to ask. You guys can build a synergy. They know that not every you've educated them in the first round that not every scan project is the same. Um, this one will use uh, a terrestrial. Next one will use a geo slam. Next one we might use a drone. Who, who knows? But that's just part of the educating them um, and building a relationship. Well, that and you know the typical anecdote: you don't know what you don't know, right? Joey, we've talked about this in so many of our episodes. Every episode, of, you don't know what yeah, you don't dude. know. 
You don't. And, and I mean, educating owners has been pretty high up in, in things that we really want to do, you know, in, in terms of raising everybody's level of expectations. Right. And getting what you essentially knowing what you're getting, I guess. And when we when we do this process, when we go through this and uh, Kurt, as you as you said, as you guys are educating these owners, they, they start to learn and then they have ideas about different ways that things can be done. I mean, there's so much feedback that also comes from that where you, it's not just, you know, teaching and, and, and learning different scanning procedures, procedures. It's also learning from the client and getting to know like when when you have a uh, a niche right and getting to know what the what they need how they need it i mean that is beneficial in itself that's that's another point that goes under that experience column but it is so beneficial to really learn from the different clients in, in ways that they need data so that when you get into a meeting with someone and they don't know what they don't know. They they have no you know knowledge. They're getting into this huge investment, and they know one portion of it. For you to be able to deliver that to say you know what these are other companies that I've worked with. This is what's worked for them, and this was how it was beneficial. I mean that right I, there would put a lot of people I think back. Their jaws would drop, and it would be like yes, okay, let's do this. That's a that's that confidence factor, and that and that person is going to deliver something that is going to, you know, make you happy, I guess, at the end of the day. The, the more that we get into, like, you know, providing stuff like that to customers and having those conversations, obviously, we're going to get repeat business. But I think another part of it is actually building awareness and making people less afraid of the technology and getting back to what Kurt mentioned earlier about, you know, scanning stuff, uh, you know, the large historical stuff and all that people see on TV, like, that builds excitement in the industry and, and with, with owners, people who aren't educated in the process. I've got friends that have, uh, they were part of the scanning Noah's Ark and I've got friends that go and scan, you know, places in Italy and, and all that sort of stuff, like this old historical stuff. And it's just, it's so cool to see that that stuff is starting to become mainstream and people like my mom who has no idea what I do or anything that I <laughs> yeah. talk about sees this scan stuff and she's like, Oh, that's really cool what they're doing. And I'm like, yeah, that is really cool. You want to talk about it? <laughs> but, <laughs> but you, you know, like it, it's good to see stuff like that start to come mainstream and, and uh, build up some interest in the industry to people that maybe have been like, Oh, that's not for us. Or I don't know how that would be beneficial or, <clears throat> or that, that costs a lot of money. Doesn't, I mean, those barriers start to get broken down. They do. I mean, I have boundless optimism for the future of this industry. Boundless. That's a that's a great word uh, <laughs> describing the future of scanning. I love it. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was a great podcast. Um, I've really enjoyed talking with you guys and having you on. And I really think this this conversation was beneficial for anybody listening out there. You know, thinking about scanning, questioning whether your project needs scanning or, you know, what level of detail do you really need? I mean, these are these are great conversations, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. And uh, I got your email about the thing in Framingham and uh, we'll see what we can do if we can make it. All right. Sounds great. Thank Thanks, you, gentlemen. Have a great, great weekend. weekend. You too you as well. And, and, and to our fans, if you guys. Uh, are interested in scanning or anything scanning, reach out to us. We'll put you in uh, contact with the experts. Uh, if you're just getting into it or you just have questions, whatever, 
let us know. Uh, it's what we love to talk about. We've got uh, uh, great contacts like Kurt and Jared here who would uh, be happy to uh, uh, entertain conversations. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. Thank you.